Hello and welcome to the Cathedral of St. James podcast. Thank you for joining us uh, for another conversation as part of our series, Sell All You Have, Wealth, Poverty, and the Christian Tradition. In this episode, uh, the Bishop Frank Gray, the sixth bishop of the Diocese of Northern Indiana, will lead us in a conversation on wealth, poverty, and the early church. We're talking about wealth, poverty, money, and the New Testament. And we've had the study of a parable. We've talked about whether Jesus was middle class or not last week. And uh, and we're supposed to cover much of the rest of this. So mm-hmm. we'll do our best to try and fold it all together. But just by beginning, and I wish we could talk more about it, is the story of Zacchaeus, who climbs up in the tree because he hears Jesus is in and. Jericho, (laughs) and wants to see Jesus. Well, this is sort of a rather indistinguished way to show yourself off as a grown man to climb up in a tree, but that shows the desire that Zacchaeus had. Jesus saw him up there and said, come on down, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch together. And then all of the people in the town were really upset because Zacchaeus was, uh, was an attack gatherer. So let's look for a minute about what tax gatherers did and how the Romans and others set up their tax structure so that we can understand a little bit more the the situation in which Jesus lived. In the Roman Empire, there was not such thing as uh, social benefits for people. They there wasn't a special program for welfare. The only thing that I'm aware of is in the city of Rome, the emperors who were very much afraid of the common people, and about 30% of the common people in Rome were slaves. So the emperors would constantly feed people bread and food and things when they go to the games. But that's all I know about the, the daily dole. And Rome wasn't particularly interested in how the poor lived. But they were interested in whoever they'd get money from. And so their way of collecting money was to say, okay, if this were in modern, they said, okay, we need $2 million from South Bend for this year. And we have hired the most unscrupulous, meanest person we can think of to collect it. And he has the full, because it's usually he, he has the full authority of Roman legions, and you'll give what he asks. What they tell The tax gatherer is, you owe us $2 million. Anything over that is yours. So imagine how people would feel gouged because tax gatherers were deeply despised. They were not the highest class of people. And so it's this kind of person, a money grubber, that Jesus says, let's go to dinner. And I think it's a good way to think about about, money and people and everything in the in the ancient world. So wealth and poverty were thought of in the ancient world, especially in Israel, as if you were wealthy, you were blessed by God and you did everything right. If you were poor, you deserved it because uh, that's they had a predetermined understanding of what the, what the economy and the universe was about. So if you had leprosy, it was your fault because you did something wrong. If you had, couldn't have a child, it was your fault. So we see the stories of the miracles of people who touch Jesus and, and the changes come. But there was no set up understanding of how to take care of the poor. Um, 
But Jesus and his uniqueness had a preference for the poor. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about, because he did have a preference for the poor, and so did the Father. Can we think of any particular illustrations where you might see them action in the Gospels? I mean, starting with Mary, I guess she claimed that she was a low estate and humble, and, and that's who God chose to help with the incarnation. Yes, and what does the song of Mary say? He'll and he'll take down the people of high estate. So that right before Jesus' birth, we see that preference for the poor in the song and the song. What else do we notice? The Beatitudes. Absolutely. I had that down too. Blessed are the poor. Matthew changes a little bit blessed are the poor in heart. But in Luke, it's blessed are the poor. Where else do we see uh, Jesus's Interest in and, and I'll give you a clue. Um, Peter, um, he's a fisherman, he's not well educated, and uh, um, and he's he's interested in him. Okay, that's right, very good. In fact, most of the people Jesus gathered around him were what I would call the working poor, they were fishermen, and Matthew was a tax gatherer. And there are others who were pretty much uh, not of the aristocracy. Where else? 35 of the parables, or 17 of the 35 parables are about money. Think about that. Jesus is always talking about money and using it as an example. The unjust steward the, who, who collects extra money and, and who, who tries to get off the off the dole or off out of problems with his, his owner and we have the uh, the rich man and Lazarus that we had preached on so well about a month ago the widow's mind is another one any others uh, from the parables the, um, well there's the supposed a true story of the um, wealthy young man who approached Jesus and said I followed all the commandments what else do I need to do right um and uh, that's a particular one. And we talked about that, I think, two or three times ago. So let's move to that and see what that tells us. Because Jesus says in that, well, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and uh, come and follow me. And there's another rich person who comes and wants to follow Jesus. And, and Jesus calls him on me. And the young man says, I'd like to, but I have to. I have to take care of my parents. Mm -hmm. And so he does work with wealth and with poverty. Uh, but with Zacchaeus, he, um, Zacchaeus is poor socially. Um, because he is a tax collector, he is um, not accepted socially that's right. in his own village. And Jesus approaches him mm -hmm. and says, I, um, I want to have um, dinner at your house and um uh and then when uh Zacchaeus receives Jesus then other people would say well if he's going to receive Jesus then he should also receive us I mean he sure. can um he's uh greased the wheel you know socially mm -hmm. for um Zacchaeus to be uh accepted by um by the community uh, as well as with Jesus approaching him, 
he becomes self-examining and says, look, whatever I have, I'm, you know, I'm going to give up half of it or, or whatever the, you know, the fraction was that, you know, the percentage was. Um, so Zacchaeus is moved to um, not to do that. Jesus doesn't have to tell him. He right. comes up with that on his own. And it's interesting. I, we can't spend a lot of time on Zacchaeus, but it is interesting that he says, I'll give half of what I've what I have, and if I've defrauded anybody on past, that can be looked at two ways. I think the most compelling way is that he was really changed by Jesus. Another way to look at it is he may not have been all that crooked, so that he can say with confidence, if I've deprived you, I'll give it back, but I've treated you guys fairly. Um, one of my favorite parables is the story in Matthew of the laborers in the vineyard. Perhaps you might remember that. Mm -hmm. The owner of the vineyard goes out and he hires people that, that he thinks will do the job. And in our modern day, when I was younger, if you want to see where the day workers were, you went to the moving van company. Because mm -hmm. the day workers would go and they'd get signed up for the day. If you want to look at it now, you probably go to the fields and the farms and, and look for people who are farm laborers. You work for the day, you get paid for the day. Mm -hmm. And so he, later on, mid-morning, he says, we're not going to get this done. We're going to get some more. And they've gone through the day. And then finally, the last hour, he said, we have to bring this in. Or the grapes are going to spoil. Goes out and hires some more people. And everybody lines up to get their money. And they notice that the person who got last gets the same amount of money as the person who got first. And they're upset by it. And what's Jesus' take on that? Why would you begrudge me my generosity? And the theological take to me is that God loves everybody. God loves all people. The good thief confessed on the cross, and he was brought in. The person who is with Jesus all the way gets in. And the idea behind that is that the Christian life and the life of faith really is its own reward. So whether what one could say is, why didn't I've been here all day? Why about these people? The idea is it's good news that we share good news, and it's in the good news that we're comforted and made whole. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus in Luke 14 says, Let's invite the poor in. And then there's the story about bringing all the people in that everybody may be fed. Um, any others? Rich fool who says, I got all these buildings, and I think I'll tear them down and build some more. Well, if you want to see that in action, go look in Florida. Um, <laughs> or if you want to see it closer to home, I knew this from another era, look at Lake Wallace. People would buy these houses, and then they gut them, and the local standard would be that you have to have one wall standing, and you have to have the foundation. Well, they take this little wall and the foundation and go out as far as high as they can, and I'm thinking about the rich fool. Jesus, Jesus says, okay, it's good. you're going to be required of it. So time and again, we look at the story of Jesus and how he um, how he has a preference for the poor and lays it on the rich sometimes. But what can we learn from Jesus about the rich? What can we learn about his relationship with the rich? Um, he needed them. 
I mean, he said to Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house for, I want to go to your house for supper. Okay. Zacchaeus had a house, cool. nice house. Okay, so And so he was able to um, accommodate him for dinner. Who else could we think of that might be wealthy and that Jesus came in contact Mary with? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, thank you. That's a good, they lived in Bethany. They were people of substance. They had a house. Jesus always stayed there when he went to Bethany, made himself at home. So they're people of substance. Who else might we think of? Um, I, his name escapes me right now. Um, but the man who said um, he had uh, tombs for his um, family members, and he gave one to... For, that would um, be Joseph of Yeah, I had so, him on my list, too. We, we, we sort of assume Peter is... Poor, but doesn't Jesus stay with with his with Peter's mother at one point? Yes. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Peter. He was a he was a commercial fisherman, mm -hmm. and he would not have been poor except if the fish didn't come mm -hmm. in. And it's if you go to Capernaum now, they will show you the place where Peter's house was, where Jesus ah. stayed. Although that that subject to some archaeological <laughs> speculation, <laughs> and they also show you the synagogue where Jesus went. And that uh, may be on the foundation of a synagogue, but it's really a fourth or fifth century synagogue. Mm -hmm. But Peter was, I would say, working poor or a businessman because he owned his boat and he had employees and they went out and they brought in the fish. And that was a great source of income and people needed those kinds of fish and they found ways to preserve them and send them out. Jerusalem, I mean, Israel itself was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire, so that wheat and barley were there. So, yes, Peter Peter probably would have been thought of as middle class, but certainly not wealthy. Anybody? Religious authorities? What? Religious authorities. The religious authorities, yes. He had dealings with them. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Well, it does say in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Ma uh, Mark that there were women mm. who were wealthy women right. who cared for his needs. It's in the 15th chapter of Mark. And when they go to collect his bodies, as an aside, the author says, oh, yes, these were the women who cared for Jesus's needs. It might be assumed that, uh, that Mary of Magdala was in that category as well. And by the way, if anybody tells you she was a prostitute, there's nowhere in the scriptures that ever proves that. And that was forbidden by a pope in the fifth century. I think so. Don't, don't teach that stuff. Mm -hmm. Somebody else invented it and has its own life. So Mary of Magdala was another one. And her family had money. They lived in a house, and a lot of people lived in caves. Who's, so who, uh, Mary Magdala's family? Didn't, they, didn't she have her... Didn't her family have a house? I don't. Oh, I don't. Okay. I'm sure that she probably did because she mm -hmm. lived in a town. But uh, who else? We have uh, Nicodemus who comes by night, who's mm -hmm. a who's a seeks Jesus out. So what I'd like to have us do is think about what Jesus's attitude is about money. It's easy to take the rich young ruler and say he tells him to give it all away. Uh, it's easy to come to quick solutions about Jesus and money, but I think Jesus's understanding of money is more textured than that. And perhaps let's let's look at the kinds of things that we can extract uh, from what Jesus says. 
Um, it's a tool, you know, and not an end in itself. Okay. Don't acquire it for the sake of acquiring it. Acquire it so that you could use it. Okay. Right. I was just going to say, I, I think those folks that he addressed the issue of money with, it was really a barrier to their sort of their continuing spiritual development. And so that for those individuals mm -hmm. that that was a problem but those other wealthier folks that you mentioned that didn't seem to be sort of a barrier for their, their mm -hmm. spiritual life yeah it's okay. also uh, uh, the thing that comes to my mind is a generosity of heart mm -hmm. so money is just a tool that the generosity comes from within okay when uh, when he talks about the widow and the uh, temple official who go in there, goes in there, and one of them parades his wealth, and the widow sort of creeps up and puts something in. That says an awful lot. And there again, it's Jesus's preference for the poor, that he made note of the poor there. What else do we see in his dealings with people with money? Well, when I think of Jesus and money, I think of the fish that had the coin in it, and he says, give to God what is God. That's a strange story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I never have been able to figure that out. And since it doesn't come on a Sunday, I haven't had to preach on it. Isn't it also of note that he, because he does pay attention to the poor, that that, that is of note, paying attention to uh, a rabbi or teacher, paying attention to the rich would not have been of note, but paying attention to the poor would have been. So yes. you're, you're hearing the stories because it wasn't the normal. Yes. And, and as I said in the beginning, if you're wealthy, you're blessed by God and you deserve it. Mm -hmm. If you're poor, you're cursed by God and you deserve it. So mm -hmm. Jesus to seek out the poor and the destitute and the unpopular, you're right. That was really unusual or unique. What else can we say about that? Well, I mean, sort of going along with that, then it wouldn't have been, while, I mean, you just got sort of those throwaway mentions, these were the women that had means, because that's the norm, mm -hmm. it, it, it's not it, it's not something that needed to be said. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably, of course, he had dealings with those who were rich and those who had money and those right. who had means, because you, you, you do, and that, and, and I'm sure there were plenty of people that followed him that did, but that, because it's not the, the understood, I guess, you know, case, then you, you emphasize what is the, what, what is not normal. Okay. I mean, I don't, this isn't just about the wealthy, maybe it is, but, you know, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he tells anyone who has two cloaks to give one away, mm -hmm. anyone who asks from you to, to lend to them. So it, it feels like any excess in your life, uh, it doesn't belong to you, like in a real sense, not just like a generosity sense. Like there are people in their society, I think it was Miguel Escobar that first week I mentioned, said something like the the poor would have been like, like there was like a 3% mm -hmm. top Right, and that. the other ninety-seven percent would have been like there wasn't really a middle class. That's correct. Is what his, his mm -hmm. you know understanding of that period was. So, um, you know, just there was just so much need everywhere. It would have probably been so obvious, like wow, there's so much need. And he's saying, yeah, well, we need to anyone who has more than one of a thing mm -hmm. <laughs> needs to give it away. And remember, so, if you were poor, you had one thing, and you didn't have an extra yeah. cloak. So mm -hmm. he's talking about somebody who's a little bit better off if you have two cloaks. Let's assume Jesus just had one cloak. Mm -hmm. He was not a rich person. And let's assume that Jesus and his disciples going around weren't earning money when they were doing that. 
there is some speculation that the fishermen would would go around with him, and then at a certain season they'd go back to fishing and come back. It was sort of a um, a movement in and out. But these were not people who had a lot of money at all. Jesus was probably very poor, and so preaching would have brought some resources in. The wealthy people who followed him. It's interesting the story of this centurion who has a servant who is sick, and he sends someone to Jesus. And the Jewish people say, be nice to this guy. He built our synagogue. So there's a centurions would be wealthy compared to anybody else in the non-Roman world because they had authority. They could take money and so forth. So he looked with favor on this person. And by the way, being nice to your servant was pretty unusual. If you had a servant, you had the right to do anything you wanted to him, including kill him. And by legal law, the paterfamilias, the father of the family, could in fact have any one of his family put to death if they if he wanted to or if they disobeyed. It was probably almost never done except by Herod the Great and Nero and a few others. But it was in the Roman law that you didn't, that slaves were property and they could be dispensed with very easily. And uh, even in the book that Stephen and I are reading, it says that the, that the landowners, their three or 4% landowners, all of them were, were in cities, so they're absentee landlords, and they would choose one of their slaves, one of their servants, to be the supervisor of all this. Mm. So the supervisor, who's a fellow slave, is going to be deeply despised by everybody else because he's going to get what he can and he's going to make the people work harder so that the owner in Caesarea isn't going to come out and say, hey, the products are down this year, you're gone. Because as with the unjust steward, he's he's hedging his bet so he can get out of trouble. So what else do we know about Jesus and wealth? We know they hung out with some nefarious people who had some wealth. <laughs> um, what about the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus does not promise us wealth. And the prosperity gospels that you hear from are not, not true. It is that if I do good and give a lot and everything, that God's going to make me prosperous and I'll show God's blessing. That's what the ancient world believed. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he's really talking to me about the poor as well. Nobody's going to get the extra things put away for Christmas. Nobody's going to put away extra jars of jelly. We're promised or we're asked. We ask the Father for our daily bread. Now, there are two meanings for daily bread. The word epiusion is only... The only time it's used in the New Testament is with the Lord's Prayer. It is used in a wonderful document that I'll talk about in a little bit called the Didache. And in the Didache is the first non-New Testament reading of the Lord's Prayer. The very first thing is out of the Gospels of Mark and Luke, and a little hint of it. I mean, Matthew and Luke, and a little hint in Mark. The Lord's Prayer first appears in this wonderful document called the Didache. And I'll go ahead and talk about it now. 
it might have been composed before some of the readings in the New Testament are composed. Do you agree? Uh, Smith is the expert on that. Yeah, but, exactly. uh, very early. yeah, I think it was it was almost included in the scriptures at one point, and in some of the earlier New Testaments, it is tucked in there. But in the end, it was not put in the new in the New Testament because it was not written quote written by an apostle. It's about Jesus, and it's about the early community, but all the rest of the New Testament writings have a name attached to them. And this is simply about, oh, it's a very, you can read it in 15 minutes. Look it up. And it's the story of a poor community. It's a, it's a real eye-opener to read that. And they talk about if a prophet comes to your town or a traveling preacher, you can put them up for three days and then they have to go. And if they stay longer than three days, they're not a real prophet. And if a prophet comes in your midst and asks for money, he goes because he's not a real prophet. But you're supposed to be generous to them. The whole understanding was of a rural, a rural area and a small town where people come and people go, and the church is very, very primitive and early. And that's the other place where Epiusion, the daily bread, occurs. So daily bread, this Epiusion word, can either mean our regular food, or it could mean the food for the morrow, or the next generation of disciples would have said the Eucharistic food. Give us this day the spiritual food that we need, or give us this day the physical food that we need. You can interpret it any way you want. I sort of like the physical aspect. It's, it's earthy. It means the peasant sitting out there, he's going to have to work for his stuff, and if he doesn't get work for the day, he's not gonna he's not gonna eat. So what comes to my mind as you're talking about that is uh, giving us our daily bread is supplying our needs as opposed to our wants, and that's mm -hmm. that's a whole other conversation. But that's sort of what I think. Everybody has basic needs, and he God supplies that. That's very important. You want to talk some more about it? <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is all of our. If you take it literally, it's bread. And sometimes I like to take it literally because I've been to places like Africa where they don't have much bread, and it literally means food. Um, there was. I was one time in a, in a place in in Sudan where they used animal crackers for the Eucharist. <laughs> and it's very interesting. The hippopotamus of <laughs> And they use orange fanta. Was it a was it a, a valid Eucharist? Sure, there's form, matter, and intention. Uh, it wasn't the matter that we're used to, but it's it's the daily wants of the people that were provided. As Karen says, it's it's all of substance. And Jesus was interested in all of the substance of a person, because as we mentioned with the rich young ruler, Jesus saw the totality of the person, and he saw that the wealthy person in that case was, was missing something. There was something there, and so he's asking the person to give up what they, what they are most attached to. So I asked myself, I'm not going to tell you, uh, what am I most attached to? 
And it's a good thing for you to ask yourself, what are you most attached to? And often, perhaps I mean, what are we most emotionally attached to? And we then put that in the hands of God. If we're overly anxious about our children or our loved ones and are off on a trip, we pray for them and we put them in the hands of God. So it, it has to do with all of our being. Um, let me see what else I have here. Jesus and money, you can't brag about it, can you? Mm -hmm. Jesus says in uh, Luke 6, when you give your money, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you give your money, give it in secret. Keep your keep your ideas in secret. Then your Father who is in heaven will see, and your Father will give you the reward. So Jesus saw money as an exchange for power and prestige. Let me think of what else. I guess in trying to summarize what Jesus says about wealth, let's do it. First, I would say that Jesus's understanding of wealth is fairly nuanced. It's not simplistic. Then I would say, don't be owned by that money. I would say, be generous. That's another thing that Jesus says. What else? Use the money wisely. Being rich is not a sin unless you hoard it. And rich people can give and help. Things too, just as the woman who ministered to Jesus. Well, Tina, we well, I don't this is maybe a bigger picture, but I think so much of the Hebrew scriptures talks about um says to, to care for the widows and the orphans and the poor and the stranger and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And and I think Jesus um kind of exemplified that in his life and the way he lived with the poor. And um and I think it's interesting that the early church was known for its caring for the poor in their midst. Mm -hmm. So that that some of the issues were about treating rich and poor the same, mm -hmm. like the Eucharistic table and things like that. Uh, so, uh, and another uh, scripture that you know, the love of money that's the root of all evil. Right. And I suspect that probably exemplifies what Jesus taught. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's where your your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Mm -hmm. You know, so you you have those um, that tension. Right. And we also have this in Jesus' teaching, I would say. We used to every Sunday have it. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he said it is more blessed to give than receive. Mm -hmm. If you ever get a pop quiz, that's the one saying of Jesus that's not in the Gospels. <laughs> it's, I think it's in Acts. It says, or Paul says it. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, and speaking of Paul, I'm <laughs> thinking about sort of models for ministry because, I mean, Jesus says, you know, don't take anything with you. Go into the town. If they support you, stay for three days. If they don't, mm -hmm. you know, dust up your feet. Or however, you yeah, not to say go by twos. Yeah, go by twos. But Paul, in his <laughs> ministry, says, you know, have a way to support yourself when you go to these places. Have a means of you know, earning some money to, and, and don't be dependent on mm -hmm. the communities that you go to. And I'm just, just curious how those two work together or... or well, let's together. move to part two of what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I wanted to talk about Paul and the New Testament community aside from the Gospels because there are other aspects of wealth that are there too that we'll talk about. 
But it's only with the Jews where their actual religion says, you need to give. You need to give a tithe. And there were, back when that was first instituted in, in Hebrew scriptures, um, that had to do with helping the poor. But in the ancient world, there was, there was no special benefit for helping the poor, and, and most people didn't. So Jesus is speaking to his own culture where giving and generosity are expected in the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. It's not necessarily... Isaiah. What's that? Isaiah. No, no, there you yeah. can find mm -hmm. illustrations of it. But in, but in general, um, what were you going to say about Isaiah? Well, it's in, uh, about... Um, Protecting the widow and orphan, meaning anybody who's marginalized. Right. And we see lots of illustrations in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, and we can't go there because we got to work very lightly on, on the New Testament. So let's move on to what the epistles say about wealth. Anybody want to have, you were talking, Rhonda, wasn't it? Oh, well, I was just looking at sort of those two models of, of ministry that, that you know, Jesus sort of gave one model, and I feel like Paul kind of had a different sort of approach. Sure. I would think that Jesus, when he calls the disciples, the implication is they drop everything and follow him forever. Mm -hmm. I think, realistically, they may have carried some of their little work along with them, and they may have seasonally gone back, but... Paul very much talks about, he's a tent maker. It's an honest occupation. And the Jewish rabbis also believed that you ought to have a job. So you, you could teach in the, in the morning and have a job in the afternoon or teach in the other way around. But it was virtuous for a rabbi to have a job. And Jesus is talked about as the carpenter's son. So we would have known that Jesus is, grew up in a, in a working family. The word carpenter is not used in the New Testament. The word is tecton, from which we get technology. And so a tecton would be, I guess we could say a general contractor, or we could say a handyman probably might be better. If Jesus and Joseph would have uh, would have been general, all-purpose people who fix things up. And they lived a very short distance from a huge Roman town called Sephoris, and they would probably walk when they needed to, walk four miles and work in Sephoris and then come back four miles. So Jesus comes from a working class family. Paul is a carpenter. I mean, Paul is a tent maker. And what is what, anything else that he says about that? Well, there's a very disturbing story of um, uh, People that were sharing everything in common, and some people held some stuff back, and they got. <laughs> yes, that's not Pauline, but it's very yeah, important yeah. to see it, because yeah. I'm, I'm skipping over yeah. Acts oh, okay. and going to Paul, but that's not correct. Let's look at that. The story in, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Acts says that they all shared their things in common. Let's remember that was a particular situation because. Many later communities tried to do that, and monastic communities certainly try and do it. But it was the exception rather than the rule, and as long as it worked, that's great. And then we find out in the Acts that it doesn't work because a man by the name of Ananias comes in, and he puts his money there, and, 
And they said, is that all you have to give him? He said, well, no. And <laughs> he is then, he dies, of, I assume, a heart attack. And his wife comes in and the same thing happens. And, and the leaders say to them, as long as it was yours, you can do with what you want it to. But once you said that you gave it to the church and then you lie about that, that's where the sin comes in. If you kept it, we all knew it, and you hadn't turned that in, you're not yet that committed, but that's okay. Once you say that you've given it, you have to give it. Uh, a little harsh, but that's <laughs> yeah, a little harsh. <laughs> so, anything else in the in, in Acts? Um, we do see that in Acts, Paul is is held helped by Phoebe, who is mentioned in Romans as a person of substance who is a deacon, and he's helped also by. Um, Rhoda, who is, uh, no, not Rhoda, I'm, I'm missing here, um, Lydia, in the 16th chapter of Acts, where Paul goes into Philippi, and he's preaching, and a riot ensues, and he gets thrown in jail, and they get out of jail, but miraculously, and where do they go? They go to Lydia's house, because she was a, a dyer of, of wool and purple cloth, which meant that she, in fact, was <clears throat> one of those few that might, in modern terms, be called middle class. So she was a person of substance, and he stayed with her. <clears throat> so there's those two. There is also Aquila and Priscilla in the church at Corinth, and he depends upon them an awful lot, and they seem to be fairly wealthy people. So Paul himself uses, in, the, in a good way, the wealth of others for the promotion of the gospel. So, <clears throat> what else can we learn from the uh, from Paul? I think Paul is dealing with a different kind of community than Jesus dealt with. <clears throat> Paul is dealing with an urban community. Most of these places where he went were large urban centers. So he wasn't talking with the farmers who came in. He was talking with urbanites, and they viewed things in a little bit different way. So working with people who had a little bit more money was probably easier for Paul because Paul didn't really say except the one place where he was hungry and so forth. He he really seems to have the basic needs that he has. In one place, he generously tells the people in Greece and Asia Minor that there's starvation in Jerusalem and let's have a let's have a collection for them. Here's one of the cases in the New Testament where we have <clears throat> a collection for the poor, and then it's taken by Paul and another person and given to the people in Jerusalem. But you know the New Testament church, and I'd like to have us look at a couple of passages here. The New Testament church had to deal with wealth, and it had to deal with wealth, I think, in a different way than when Jesus was around. <clears throat> Jesus was there in his flesh. Why, he said what needed to be said, and people either liked it or hated it, and the anger was turned towards him, or the grace towards him, which is appropriate. But when you come to the next generation, then things get a little bit a little bit different, and we have Ananias and Sapphira, but we also have a couple of passages, first in Corinthians, 
And then in James, which I'd like for us to take a look at. How are we doing on time? Just under 20 minutes. There's some Bibles on the shelf over there. Um, Let's see. I'll just read it. Just listen. If you want to follow along, there we go. I think I'll just read it. In the past, we have taken turns, and that's the best way to do it. But in the interest of time and trying to cover an area, let me just read from 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 17. Listen particularly about underlying tension there, what it's all about. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Or to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have been factions among you, but only so it will become clear who among you is genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, but when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and the other becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. That, we, we miss that passage because right after it, we get the words of institution for the Lord's Supper. For in the night in which he takes that negative thing and goes right there. For in the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ said, but let's look at this passage. What is that telling us? That was the one I was referring to in terms of the early church with uh, the rich and poor all wanting them to be together and right. unified, not 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 rich churches and poor churches. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's so let's right. talk about what what do you see in this passage? Just gleaning. That there's division right away. The what? That there's division right away. Yeah, we see that. The way you know human nature is. This is within twenty years of of Jesus's crucifixion resurrection because the Pauline epistles were probably written before the Gospels. So within 20 years, Paul's saying, you people aren't getting along very well. And what is separating you? What does it say there? Well, Money, wealth, prestige. Jesus talks about when you go into a banquet, take the low seat. Because there were two things that ancient culture, ancient Near Eastern culture, and still true in Africa, are based on. One is shame. Um, that's that's very very. If you lose face, you you really uh, are really in trouble. And you hear about people in Arab communities if they want to take the life of a daughter or a sister because she has disgraced the family. That shows you how important in the ancient Near East it is to not disgrace the family. So Jesus says. Um, Take the low seat. Why does he say that? Because he says, you know, then you may be invited up and somebody else will have to move down the ladder to start out being humble. So so shame is a big thing. 
But shame wasn't as big a thing in this in the Greek culture as it was in, in rural cultures. Um, so there's shaming here. Paul is shaming them for their behavior, and they're getting together. And what are they doing when they eat? Think of the prestige if you you uh, you're going down to the undercroft of the cathedral and you see a table set up there with steak and and all the fixings and you see a, a a line for food over here and you know right away that well you're probably not going to be invited over there because that's where all the millionaires sit i think i'll go over here and that's what he's that's what he's getting at we're all equal in the sight of god um and he commends them for that or he condemns them for this where else do we see selfish too taking care of myself before anybody else sure look for number one um and then uh what else there's even some like gluttony going on it's not just having your pill but it's absolutely really having your pill and the other having a very little in the very earliest times when Jesus instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper, and when the Eucharists were taken up by his disciples later on, in the Semitic tradition, they would be lying down or sitting, relaxing, and this would be part of the meal. In the earliest church, I think they'd gather, and they'd maybe have a little snack or something. They'd have a little bit of wine, and then the elder would say, now let's read uh, from the scriptures, which for them would have been the Hebrew scriptures, because they didn't think what they were writing were scriptures. And then let's let's read what we have from the remembrances of Jesus. Let's do that. And they may have had a gospel. They may have just had snippets. They may have just had stories that were told in oral tradition. Then after that goes along, then they say, okay, now that we're all here, we're all comfortable, we've all heard the word, let's, in the context of all of this, Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he took the bread and blessed the cup. Say the, the Eucharist was part of a, a whole meal. And that's what we're seeing abused here. If you want to get a picture of that, think about Jewish satyrs and the way two or three times in my ministry as a parish priest, we tried to, we had them. It's a great production to put on, but but that's what happens in that. Um so this, these are people who are abusing the most sacred thing that the Christian community has. They're getting together and following that pattern, but they're abusing the pattern. So when you come in the room in Corinth, you know that the, the rich people are over there, and you better not go over there. And by the way, they're, they're having a lot more to drink than I am. And Paul hears that, and he's scandalized. Thanks for listening. 